Hello, everyone. I'm Blaine Gilmer. Welcome to Southeastern 14. We are coming to you once again with another piece of great content covering SEC football. Yes, the conference that even though it has been maligned to start the 2023 season, still the greatest conference in all of college sports when you factor in not only football, but baseball, basketball, everything that's going on inside the conference. And then, of course, hey, Texas beat Alabama, as our guest of this show, uh, predicted that they would, and they're coming into the SEC. So the SEC is going to get a little bit stronger. Without further ado, let's welcome in uh, my co-host here and the guy you're all here to see on Jake's Takes on Southeastern 14, Mr. Jake Crane. Jake, uh, thank you so much for for joining, man. I, I greatly appreciate it. Definitely, man. Uh, love being here. Love uh, coming on and chopping it up with you guys. And and if you want to know the the effect of sports gambling, I'm over here just hoping this uh, Miami Bethune Miami versus Bethune Cookman game uh, works out the uh, the way I want it to. So uh, uh, no, it's uh, it was a crazy weekend of college football, and I know some people are saying, "Oh, well, you know, this weekend isn't the best weekend." What do you mean? We have college football. We have NFL. How are you going to complain about it not being football season, you know, basically the whole year? And then when football season gets here, you're like, oh, well, it's not the best weekend. It's always the best weekend during football season. Tremendous weekend. Before we even get to the topics that you're going to take a, a, you know, Jake's take on here. And I mean, you got LSU going on the road to Starkville in a game that's much more interesting than it was a couple of weeks ago, in my opinion. I mean, you got Tennessee and Florida that I saw your tweet a couple of days ago. You're like, man, Tennessee and Florida is going to be a blast to watch after that, that garbacle, I call it, with Austin P up there in <laughs> Knoxville. And then, and then of course, uh, you got the, the Gamecocks coming to Athens. So we're getting some actual SEC conference play this week, Jake. For sure. I mean, you, you look at it and, and, and sneaky, I don't even think it's the word. I mean, you look at, at this LSU-Mississippi State matchup, I know we're going to get into, it's very intriguing to see if LSU is going to be able to make the adjustments and, and a new-look Mississippi State team that only threw 17 passes last week, which is crazy to think about after the uh, the Mike Leach era. Uh, rest in peace. And South Carolina going up to play Georgia. Better hope that offensive line's figured it out. And, and Tennessee-Florida, I, I think this has a chance to be a really good game, a, a one-score game down to the wire. Uh, you know, a quarterback in Tennessee that I think still has a lot to a lot to prove. And look, the Austin P start, it was tough. Uh, but at the end of the day, they did kind of pick it up. But there's still a lot of questions for Joe Milton for me. And, and I know a lot of Tennessee fans out there as well. No doubt, no doubt, and we will hit on those uh, at the end of all the matchups. But we've we've done a ton of just game previews, prediction, betting picks, all that kind of stuff. Jake, you you might like to check out uh, Brian Edwards, our guy at Vegas Insider over here on SEC uh, on Southeastern fourteen every week. He's been a Vegas Insider for twenty plus years, and he gives out oh, picks man. over here. So, so he knows Robert that. De Niro and everybody then. No doubt, no doubt. He, he gives sure. out his wisdom here on the channel as well. So there's lots of reasons to like, subscribe, turn notifications here. But uh, Jake, let's go ahead and get into, before we get to some of those games, let's get into our three topics here. And I, I one game that we didn't talk about because it's not a conference game, we didn't list in those, is a non-conference game that I'm pretty excited about. And it's Missouri welcoming in Kansas State. And yeah. my question for you to take a, a, a stand on here is just, how much does this K-State game mean to Eli Drinkwitz and the future of the Missouri program, um, you know, here in week three of this 2023 season? Well, it's huge. I mean, you get a team that that won the Big 12 last year, beating TCU, obviously, in the conference championship game and, and what was a hell of a game 
uh, down to the wire last year against TCU and, and drink out the extension. But, but Missouri fans, they need a win like this. They, they need a, a win to point it and say, you know what? We see the direction it's going against a quality ball club. Uh, and look, you look at, you look at, you know, each one of these teams, I think there's a lot of similarities that, you know, I call it the battle of play action. Uh, both teams that, that want to be able to run the ball a little bit better. They're kind of built fit, fit, people. Look, Eli Drinkwitz isn't, isn't, I want to be soft and finesse. He wants to get downhill, wants to get play action, get the ball to Luther Burden uh, and let the guys cook. So, you know, when I look at a game like this, this is one that you win, you get a lot of momentum going into the conference uh, in a year that looks, it looks like it's a little bit wide open. And I love Missouri's defense. I had an SEC assistant text me before the year. Missouri may have the most underrated defense in the conference when it comes down to it. But if Brady Cook can make good decisions, they could go get a win that, that in my opinion, puts them, I, I don't want to say ahead of schedule because drinks has been there too long for that, but it really shows, hey, that extension was warranted. We're going in the right direction. Look what we just did against a team that has proven that they can win in another Power 5 conference, winning it last year. So it's a huge game for Missouri. Big springboard game. We talked about A&M and Miami being a springboard game. This is one for Missouri, and you get them in Columbia. Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit shocking to some people, I think, Jake, to see that extension come when, you know, you had that that heartbreaking loss that they had uh, at Auburn last year and then they go six and seven on the year and people are saying he's going six and seven and yet he's getting an extension but then we see the Missouri State Legislature helping this man out and changing NIL laws inside the state to try to keep people like Williams uh, Williams Winari who's a five-star that they've got committed now in state they did the same thing with Luther Burden being able to keep him in state and my goodness Jake if to your point, you know, you talked about momentum. They have Memphis, who's struggling with Navy tonight as we record this, and then also they have Vanderbilt. If they win this game, Missouri could start off 5-0 and welcoming LSU into yeah. Como in a couple of weeks, and that would be humongous. Well, they'd be they'd be a top twenty five team. You know, it'd it'd be a national game. It'd, it'd be a game that would draw a lot of eyes. Uh, look, when it comes down to drink getting that extension, uh, it's the ultimate vote of confidence. You know, in in a time that there was some turmoil, and you look now, a lot of teams that are having success are the ones that have what continuity. You know, I, I think that's something that Missouri looked at and said, hey, you know, in in this time of of transformation with the transfer portal and NIL and coaches going left and right being able to have the same guy in the same voice and, and keep a recruiting class together and not, you know be able to re-recruit players to stay uh, is a big deal. And Missouri's doing some work in recruiting. It seems like they snag at least one huge, big-time player out of every single class. If they're able to get the 5-0, you get past this one. Your team has a lot of confidence. Your fan base has a lot of confidence. And you're setting up for a mega matchup against LSU where you could really turn some heads at Missouri and get them going in the right direction to get people really excited. So there's so many additives to this game to be able to win. Doesn't matter if you win it three to two. Doesn't matter if you win 300 to 299. If you're able to win this one, it's a quality win. Uh, you get to that 5-0 and mark. And, and all of a sudden, the, the hot seat for Eli Drinkwitz, even though he got that two-year extension, we've seen coaches get fired after getting extensions. This wouldn't be the first time. Uh, it would cool down a whole hell of a lot. Now, another aspect of this that I wanted to talk to you about, and you know, a lot of the 
scuttlebutt in the offseason about guys turning over play calling duties was about Jimbo Fisher turning it over to Bobby Petrino and about Hugh Freeze letting Philip Montgomery, you know, call a lot of that offense down there. Not many people talked a whole lot about drink. You giving up that to, to Kirby Moore, who came from Fresno State and really did a good job with Jake Hayner. I mean, you go look at Jake Hayner's stats last year. He got injured, only played in 10 games, but that guy completed 72% of his passes, was 20 touchdowns to three interceptions. So I think, you know, are we judging a little bit too early on Kirby Moore and this, you know, Missouri offense? I know they've struggled early, but is it could it be working through some of that, okay, drink, yeah. relinqu- relinquishing control, and, and Kirby Moore just kind of getting his footing with this new team? Well, well, a lot of it, yeah, you're working the Kings out early, and, and Missouri really hasn't been challenged too much by the competition they played. I think they've been pretty vanilla, which, look, it, it makes sense. I mean, you had people saying, oh, well, you know, Texas didn't beat Rice by 500 points, so Texas must not be that good, and Alabama's going to kill them. Well, you do save some things. Even with a new coordinator early in the year, you know, you're working on that communication, uh, and it's hard for guys to relinquish play calling, especially when that's what got you where you were. You look at Hugh Freeze and Auburn. You look at Drinkwitz and Missouri. It's hard, especially in a year where, hey, look, we got to have it. Even though I got this extension, I got to show progress. The thing that got me here, that helped me put food on my family's table, that helped me live in this nice estate with a pool and a gate, I'm just going to turn over to somebody new and say, here you go, man. Don't blow it for all of us. And look, play calling, and, and I think I said this on the first show uh, that I came on uh, with you, Blaine, is look, play calling is a team effort. Uh, typically, mm-hmm. you know, if you've ever been on a headset, you got multiple guys saying multiple things. Hey, you're looking at different spots. Coach, what do you like here? What are you seeing? What's the safety doing? Is he creeping down uh, whenever we show run? So it's a lot of it goes through multiple channels. There's one voice at the end that ends up making the play call. But so many times I've seen offensive coordinators. I was a special teams coordinator. So I had offense and defense on the headset, which is awesome, which is absolutely awesome. Best part about it. And a lot of times if the, if the, head coach isn't the guy calling the plays the oc will say we'll we'll hit him up and say coach hey what do you like here like third and three what do you like what are you seeing you know what are you feeling right here and, and you know once in a blue moon the head coach calls a play that hits for a touchdown and, you know he's a genius he's an absolute genius so uh look it's a team effort uh that they are i think holding a little bit back that that game against middle was a little bit tighter than what they wanted it to be. Uh, But don't be surprised if you see Missouri open it up a little bit. But they need to establish the run. They need to get the play action going. And you can't make mistakes because Kansas State is built on two things, physicality and discipline. And they they will let you lose the game while they run it and play somewhat conservative and then take their shots over the top with play action. My, my cry this whole week has been free Brady Cook. This man had 585 rushing yards last year. Let him run. Like, get some get some things going. You got a good backup quarterback in Sam Horn. You know, I know things happen when quarterbacks run the football, but, man, this man is best when he's creating with his legs and extending plays and doing stuff like that. Yeah, well, his decision the, – the biggest thing with Brady's decision-making, right? And, and a lot of times when he got in trouble, and a lot of young quarterbacks get in trouble w- when they're improvising, when the play breaks down and they're trying to create something, right? Everybody can't be Ryan Stiles from whose line is it anyway and be incredible at improv. Not that Brady's bad. Brady's done great things. But he needs to limit the chances he takes. And then you talk about quarterback runs. You truly want to get a hat on a hat. Quarterback design runs – Let's you play hat on a hat ball, right? Because typically you have at least uh, uh, you got a wide receiver out there with a corner on him. Uh, the quarterback's able to, to keep it in the box. You can truly get a hat on a hat. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think you're going to see that, especially in the red zone. 
when the field shrinks and you're trying to create gaps. Uh, you do have a capable backup, but they also don't want to put Brady in too much of harm's way. But when it comes down to it, push comes to shove. Just like Sam Pittman said, we interviewed him at SEC Media Days about KJ being healthy. Look, it's fourth and one in a big game. You know, my horse got to keep the ball. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, next question we have for you here is, what are the recipes for upsets in Gainesville and in Starkville this weekend? So both Florida and Mississippi State are home dogs this weekend with Florida welcoming Tennessee and Mississippi State welcoming in LSU. So we'll start down in Gainesville. If there's going to be a recipe for you know an upset there, uh, for the, the Gators to hold serve and keep that mental mental edge on Tennessee in this rivalry. What is that recipe, Jake? Yeah, well, look, a lot of it with Florida, and, and we saw this against Utah. I mean, one of the main ingredients uh, in the recipe of, of baking that winning cake is you got to play clean. You know, you can't make mistakes and big downs. Even going back to the first drive of the game against Utah, you know, you got a third and one off a good jet sweep play. You get a false start, pushes you back to third and six. You end up punting. They throw a bomb on you the first play. You have two players with the same number uh, on punt return on fourth and four that extends the drive. Florida's not good enough right now to be able to make mistakes and make up for it. You look back at that box score, I thought Graham Mertz uh, played a lot better than what I thought he would at Utah. Uh, Florida outgained them. You look at yardage, but they just made critical mistakes. You can't do that. You've got to hit those wide open receivers too uh, to be able to beat a team like Tennessee. And, and look, I think Joe Milton's going to have to help them a little bit. And, and I always tell sometimes people are like, oh, you guys hate Joe Milton. I don't hate Joe Milton. I hold jo Joe Milton to a very high standard. And Joe Milton still struggles to make the routine throws routine. And, and mistakes aren't just turnovers. I think fans and even some sports media members have a bad habit of saying, oh, well, he just can't make mistakes, which means don't turn the ball over. Well, a mistake is missing a wide-open guy on third and five when it's a great play call to extend a drive. A mistake is when missing a, a read uh, to the top side on first and 10 that would have got you into second and two, kept you on schedule. You work to the wrong side, throwing in completion, now it's second and 10 and you're behind schedule. There's a lot more that goes into mistakes uh, other than just throwing interceptions. And Joe Milton uh, has shown the, the ability – to make the wow play with his arm. We know he has a big arm and all that stuff, great. But he's got to make the routine plays routine. In baseball, we say don't give him more than 27 outs, right? If Joe Milton gives Florida more than 27 outs, that is the biggest thing in the recipe to keep Florida in the game. And the longer they're in the game, the more they start believing, the more the swamp starts to take effect. So I think playing clean, is one of the main ingredients. And the other one is Joe Milton's got to keep falling behind in the count. I'm not, I know I'm using every every baseball reference possible, but I think Joe Milton has to help him out a little bit. And I expect this game to be tight. Yeah, I was wondering too, is Florida going to be able to run the football at all? Between uh, Trevor Etienne and Montreal Johnson out in Utah, they had between them 10 carries for 31 yards. That's not going to yeah. get it done no, against no, the Tennessee not. team. It's not, and Graham Mertz isn't good enough to sit there and be one-dimensional and beat you, but Florida's got to stop going east and west. You know, they, they got to start going north and south. A lot of their runs were lateral. you got to get going downhill, and, and I think one of the most underrated parts about what Josh Heupel's doing at Tennessee, because everybody talks about Joe Milton, everybody talks about the warp drive offense that they run, uh, the speed they run, the way they run it, but he's really upgraded them up front. You know, we always say on Cranic Company, what's the fastest way to go from the duplex to the suburbs? Be better up front. And they've really built a front seven that is very formidable. I think at the end of the day, Tennessee could actually end up being a defensive team, as crazy oh, as yeah. that sounds. But the offensive line's been upgraded as well. They've shuffled some guys up front, uh, I think was the right move going into this week. Uh, but look, 
Tennessee hadn't won there since 2003. You know, I'm not a trends guy, but, uh, I mean, that's a pattern. There's trends and there's a pattern. No doubt, no doubt. What about over in Starkville? What does Mississippi State need to do in a game where I think people are starting to I don't I don't know exactly what your your pick was um, for this game or is on on Crane on Crane and Company, but uh, when it comes down to it, I think a lot of people are even though they they let Arizona back in that game, I think they're feeling pretty good about some of the stuff that Mississippi State's doing uh, as a, as a unit under Jack Arnett. Yeah, well, look, I, I think the balance is going to help Will Rogers out. I mean, Mississippi State, and, and you know, we love Mike Leach, you know, rest in peace, but they're one of the most predictable teams in the country. That's why teams just started rushing three and dropping eight. You know, this wasn't some crazy formula uh, that that people were doing on defense to, to be able to shut Mississippi State down. And, yeah, Will Rogers had a lot of completions, uh, but they were very predictable. And they didn't hit a lot of explosive plays because everybody kept everything in front. They threw 17 passes last week, Blaine. Uh, watching Mississippi State throw 17 passes is, you know, it's like watching your mom kiss another man other than your dad right now. It's just weird. You can tell uh, that Zach Arnett is the defensive guy uh, as as the head coach. But I'll say this, um, you know, I opened the show uh, Thursday talking about, uh, you know, LSU not making adjustments and learning from last year when halfway through last year attacking the deep third of the field was what changed your season and changed you guys offensively. Then. You, you go into game one against Florida State, and yeah, you called some plays down the field, but you never really took your shots. You ran a bunch of comebacks, didn't run a double move to the last drive of the game, and you hit him for a 70-yard touchdown. So I was shocked uh, to not see that adjustment. And then Harold Perkins, you know, you had him as a spy. Jordan Travis this year is upgraded. It's Jordan Travis 2.0. He's actually scrambling to throw, keeping his eyes down the field. And you didn't adjust with Harold Perkins and bring him on the blitz more and just play it normal. So uh, at the end of the day, I, I think Mississippi State balance is the key here. But I expect a much different LSU team. I expect an LSU team that's aggressive. I expect an LSU team that's embarrassed the way they got out physical halfway through the third quarter and beyond by Florida State who just decided to go out in the, behind the bar and see who could win in a fist fight and they won by a lot I would not be shocked to see a, a you know a, a rebirth of LSU and some adjustments made Mike Denbrock's too good of an OC uh, they're too physical on defense you do get Mason Smith back which helps everybody else out I know the DBs are somewhat of a question mark but I just don't see Mississippi State being able to have a, t have a ton of success running. To me, I think they're going to have to take a lot of play-action shots, and they're going to have to hit them. Uh, they're going to get out-athleted a lot when Mississippi State's on defense and LSU's on offense. Just like I talked about, Tennessee is, is going to have to make some mistakes for Florida to survive. I think it's the same thing when we're sitting here looking at this, this Mississippi State-LSU game. I think LSU's going to have to give them a little help, uh, but if they do, those cowbells will keep them in it. Oh yeah, that it's a it's an unbelievable environment that they're that they're stepping into. That's great over there, and and uh, you know one thing that I do, you know, admire is I know people are saying, well, they may not be throwing the football enough, but man, the way Woody Marks has is running the football, that Good dude player. is bringing the noise. I mean, he can is. Can you imagine hard. though? Can you imagine being Woody Marks going from what you did? have the two years before like now you're getting like 20 carries a game it's just got to be like in your wildest imagination you know it's like what did meek mill say you know i used to pray for times like this like it's, it's like just, being a sophomore at colorado right now that's exactly right it's just a total total new experience i bet and and uh, look woody's a great leader for that team i know he loves the game he could have left he didn't leave uh but i know when he goes to sleep for the game he's probably a little bit more excited about the amount of touches he's going to get the next day. But you're running into a, a front seven for LSU that is, you know, a couple plays away from having Nick Fury ask him to join the Avengers. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they, they're, they've got talent over there for sure. And now I wanted to touch on something that seems to be, 
you know, a little bit of an epidemic in the SEC early on. I want to ask you, why does the OL play as a whole seem down in the SEC, whether it was Tennessee last week having some pass protection breakdowns against Austin P. Georgia not looking dominant their first two games on the offensive line and on perimeter uh, blocking. And then South Carolina, we know the woes they've had. Florida against Utah. I mean, Alabama against Texas. We know that the SEC typically has been branded on, okay, we're going to have Maulers up front, and that's going to be the difference in our conference and the rest. Why do you think it's been down this year across the board, it seems, in the SEC? Well, you know, you've had a lot of turnover. Uh, you have a lot of new quarterbacks, too. You know, that chemistry between the quarterback and the offensive line, getting you in the right play, uh, the cadence. You know, you've seen, a lot of off, you've seen a lot of SEC teams get behind schedule, honestly, up front. That, that's, that's a lot of the problems. You get in predictable downs. Defensive lines are able to kind of pin their ears back and, and hone in on what you're trying to do. Uh, and, and you've got a lot of young guys, I think, that are playing. Uh, it's, it's very important spots, you know, across the, the conference. Uh, you know, you look at a team like Georgia, though, still – I know they haven't been, you know, as dominant as what we thought. But I, I tell you something, and, and Cole Kublik, who we had on the show, we're dropping a, our Saturday special with him. I, I think he, he talked about Greg McElroy brought up a great point. I think you're seeing the the lack of physicality during fall camp now because we, we've gone so far back from the amount of physical, uh, you know, contact that's allowed to, to go on through fall practice. I think your take seeing some of these big uglies takes a little bit of time for, for him to for him to get right. And if you, if you're a young guy or you're a new guy that's that's learning a new system as an offensive lineman, as opposed to some other places that have had more continuity, that can that can have a big effect. I mean, it's not just you know wanting to be physical and wanting to bury guys. It's it's communication. It's understanding who we're comboing up to. It's understanding when they check the protection. You know, am I sliding the right way? Uh, am I worried about technique because I don't know the play? Uh, so I, I think it's a mixture of everything. But don't be shocked i know everybody's saying oh oh the sec isn't any good this year look uh it's still really early in the season i wouldn't overreact it's been a tough couple of weeks especially against the acc but i guarantee you when it comes nfl draft time there's going to be more offensive linemen and defensive linemen taken from the sec than anywhere oh yeah i think you what you mentioned there with some of the youth like you know talking about caden proctor having to go up against mm-hmm. Ethan Burke and some of those studs that they had over there at Texas last week. I mean, welcome to college football, young man. You know, you, yeah. you, know, you don't get much time to to adjust. And, oh, by the way, that Alabama offensive line, go look at uh, where Javian Cohen is. He's down there at the U beating Texas A&M when he started a lot of ball for, uh, for the Crimson Tide over the last couple of years. So I think the transfer portal leans into it a little bit, guys moving around. And then, you know, now – like you said, you can't at some point producing more NFL talent than anybody across the board uh, in the in the whole country as a conference is going to catch up with you at some point. You got to reload. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's cyclical, right? Football's cyclical. I mean, it, it's it was bound to happen. And when you see the amount of quarterbacks that, that are returning uh, in the Pac-12, right? You you see what what who's coming back in the Big Twelve. I mean, and again, it's not an excuse. Uh, the SEC to me, at the end of the day. Uh, is still going to be the most dominant conference. It, they've just been slow out of the gate. And over time, you play enough games, you play enough seasons over time, th- this is going to happen. It, it's just part of it. Uh, th- that's why football is great. And listen, uh, I, I know we're, we're on Southeastern 14, but I love college football in general. Sometimes it's good for this, like, like Febreze Brothers, fresh start, one year where, yeah, okay, Pac-12, you guys are disappearing. Okay, we'll see you later. It's, we have Texas and Oklahoma. Coming, the SEC is fine. 
All right, if you're an SEC fan that for some reason is panicking, like, oh, no, you're losing your grip on dominance in college football, don't, don't worry about that for a second. Look at the recruiting rankings. Look at the teams that are coming in. Look at some of these these programs that, that have a new coach now that, that are trying to get going. Just don't don't go Jody Foster and just go hide in your panic room and think it's all over. Right? You don't need a doomsday prep or go get a bunch of canned goods and gasoline. It's all right. It's going to be fine. You know, I talked on the morning report here on Southeastern 14 how this is really an appropriate ending here to the the division era of the yes. SEC. You have a wild west, an interesting east, as I like to call it, and who knows is gonna who's going to end up in the championship. Can anybody challenge Georgia? I think there's a lot of storylines that people just need to enjoy this year, Jake, and not fret so much over. Yeah, well, like outside of if it's your team, obviously if you're Georgia, you want to keep dominating like this. If you're yeah. Alabama, you want to keep dominating the West. But like as as an overall 30,000 of you, isn't this so much more fun not being like, oh, God, they're just going to kick everybody's ass as, as and being like, oh, I don't know who's going to win it. There's a chance this team could win it. There's a chance this team could win it. Instead of being like, yeah, we already know it. It's week three. We already know it's Bama, Georgia. Like we already know. Uh, so I think it's a lot more fun. Is it is it wrong to say that out of that on the West side that there's four or five teams that could end up winning the West right now? I mean, Blaine, who's who's your favorite right now? I mean, if if LSU can't figure it out and turn it around, they're in trouble. They go to Alabama. Alabama's got questions. We still don't know about a couple teams, right? Arkansas, I know Rockets beat up right now. They didn't look great against Kent State. Auburn's a work in progress right now with Hugh Freeze. Snuck one out against Cal. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, man, I mean, it, it's as wide open as I can remember the SEC West being. That's not Ole Miss, right? They were able to finish off Tulane late. But, I mean, again, you you if you were to put the odds right now out, just off the top of your head, it'd probably be tighter than it has been the last 10 years. No, I still like Texas A&M, too. I, I, I'm, again, not, Texas I'm not A&M? giving up on them, either. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't hit the panic button there, either. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting. And then, and then we'll, who knows what's good. We, we thought that Tennessee in the East was like a surefire number two, but if they go down to Gainesville this week and, and blow that game, end up gaining, you know, uh, Billy Napier gets a, a statement win for, for that program down there. Then all chaos breaks loose over there to see what that's going to look like, who can challenge Georgia. Um, but real real quick, Jake, just tell us on those three big ones, uh, who are you taking to win? And are you t- do, you like the, do you like any particular bets on, on any of those games? We'll start first with uh, Georgia, South Carolina, I think it's 27 and a half. Are you, are you taking those points? Or do you, do you, do you like those Man, Georgia and the I, I, I jumped on the under as quick as I could. I got it at 55 and a half. It's down to 54 and a half. I, I just don't see a way in which South Carolina is able to handle this Georgia defensive line. Georgia's been somewhat slower out of the gate. Uh, is it, when, it, when it comes to taking a side, that's a lot of points. Uh, even even with how inept South Carolina's looked, uh, you know, um, up front on, on the offensive line, special teams can steal you a touchdown. Maybe Carson Beck makes a mistake in his first SEC game. I like the under. I like Georgia to win, obviously, and I like the under at fifty four and a half uh, in that one. And we're recording this on Thursday night, and Shane Beamer announced that Marquis Anderson, they're basically their six offensive linemen out for the game. Uh, oh, so that's good even, night, South Carolina. 
That's even worse. And they are rushing for 1.5 yards per carry this year. Just absolutely dreadful. Um, So, yeah, that's the Georgia-South Carolina game. Then we have uh, LSU-Mississippi State. I think from your your conversation earlier, you're taking LSU to win, but are you taking them to cover the – it's nine and a half, ten, depending on where you see it. Uh, look, I, I actually think we're going to see a pissed off LSU team. I think Mississippi State's going to hang around in this one for a while. It was at nine and a half the last time I saw it. A lot of people are on Mississippi State. I think LSU figures it out. I think Will Rogers makes a couple of mistakes. I think LSU scores a touchdown on defense. Give me LSU by 10 or more. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. Now in Gainesville. Uh, can Tennessee cover the six and a half or do you think I, I know that you probably are picking Tennessee but do you think Florida has some magic in there and maybe could uh, maybe could make this thing really really tight yeah I, I think it this this game may come down to Tennessee having to kick a field goal to win it uh, I, I got Florida covered in this game six and a half last time I saw it if you bought it up to seven and a half probably be really smart I like Tennessee to squeak one out I think the defense gets a big stop uh, late, I like Tennessee to win the game, but I like Florida to cover. I think this one's going to be. I think this, I'm going to tell you the best bet though, and I know you keep saying under, 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 under. I got it under 59, under 58 and a half. I think it's a great bet in this game. I think Florida's going to try and run the ball. Tennessee's going to do what they do, uh, but if Joe Milton's struggling to throw it, they're going to try and pound it on the ground. I like the under 58 and a half in this one. Yeah, and you meant, and then you mentioned outside the conference, not a not a ton of just what you would call marquee matchups, but there are two I wanted to hit on real quick, just with you because you love all of college football. You got oh, yeah. North Carolina hosting Minnesota. I'm intrigued by that matchup. I think that's yeah. it. that's going to be a fun one. Look, styles make fights, and and I love you know seeing the Memphis versus the Navies, the Minnesota versus the North Carolina, opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh, look, North Carolina last week, I would never schedule App State again if I'm them, just for some reason. I, I don't know what the deal is uh, there. Minnesota wants to slow it down. PJ wants to row that boat nice and slow under the shore. North Carolina, even though Phil Longo's gone to Wisconsin, they want to get Drake May going. Uh, they want to throw the ball down the field, even though they got a couple of good backs. Uh, North Carolina does. Uh, it's a seven and a half game. I wouldn't touch it. I wouldn't touch that one with a 10 foot bowl. I think North Carolina wins, but Minnesota a backdoor cover quicker than anybody. Absolutely. And then all the way at the end of the evening on Saturday night, it got a little bit more interesting when the Colorado State coach uh, commented on Deion Sanders wearing the sunglasses and the hat before the game. So when I go speak to adults, I take off my hat and sunglasses, and I just don't think they needed to give Colorado any more ammunition. Like it's it's like Nacho Libre said, you know. But why? Like, uh, what? How does this help you? Like Colorado, th- their team mantra is it's personal, basically. And what do you do when all the pressure's on them? When they've got big games against Oregon and USC coming up, they're not worried about Colorado State, even though the coaches have his harping on them. Hey, you got to concentrate on this one. Game day's coming. They're human beings. What do you do? You go and you make it personal. How does this put Colorado's? And you know what? I agree with them. I wouldn't wear sunglasses during an interview. Hats different, but I mean sunglasses. I mean yeah. I get that, but why say that? Tell your kids that, right? Don't go on the radio and say it because it doesn't help you at all. Now they're pissed off. Now I, I got it at 23 and a half. I couldn't be happier. But Jay Norvell, I just I don't I need you to it's like Michael Scott said. Explain it to me like I'm five. Okay, now explain it to me like I'm three. Like because I don't understand how this helps Colorado State. Now you've just upset them. They're already better better than you. And now they, they don't stop scoring, right? You just 
you know, you just you just purchase two tickets to Butt Whooping City uh, and you get nothing in return for it. Absolutely. Great stuff, as always, with Jake Crane. Jake, tell them what they can expect out of you and the fellas at Crane and Company this weekend. Yeah, well, I mean, if you love college football, if you love the SEC and, and you know, sports in general, we're at Crane and Company, easiest way to find us. Head over to YouTube at C-R-A-I-N and Company. Uh, go subscribe over there. Just hit 100,000 subs. Really excited about that. We go live each weekday morning, 6.30 a.m. to 8 a.m. Central. Uh, it stays on YouTube and Apple Podcasts and Spotify and that stuff all day, but we have live call-ins and a live chat. Uh, so if you enjoy this type of talk, head over and join us. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and, and Blaine, it's, it's fun as usual, man. I'm, I'm ready for this weekend. No, it's awesome stuff. You can see scrolling across the bottom of the screen at Crane Company on X. Now you can you can follow him on there as well. And you see you see Jake at Jake Crane underscore. Yep. You can follow me using at B Gilmer eighteen and at fourteen southeastern for the website here. So so excited. Like I said, like, subscribe, turn on notifications for more content like this. We'll be going live with a reaction on Saturday night late. Probably when that Colorado game's on, we'll be doing a, a reaction yeah. here myself, Blake Lovell. Well, after, after I had to watch that Auburn-Cal game that didn't end until like 1.30 in the morning and it wasn't exactly you know, scintillating football, at least I'll be able to watch them run around and Travis Hunter play 800 snaps. That'd be great. You can hop on with us. You can hop on with us if you want to. I might. I may just that. show up. Right. That'd be I may just show up like the dude who's, who's, you know, not in the fraternity, but it shows up at the party. It's like, hey, guys, it's me, Devin. Come on in. Come on in. It's great stuff. Yeah. So uh, for my man, Jake Crane, I'm Blaine Gilmer. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you guys next time on Southeastern Fortune. <laughs>